concept. God likes and wants to use your personal imagination. God created your imagination, not so you could just daydream or, or come up with concepts and ideas. He created your imagination primarily so you would have a way to interact with him in a visual sense. Because even if you close your eyes, you can still have visual input if you use your imagination. God likes your imagination. God does not want and does not like your imagination of him to be limited by someone else's perspective of who he is. So much so, God knew that Moses, Moses is a little sneaky, you know. He didn't want to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So he tried to use that excuse that he stuttered. You know, God, I can't go because I stutter. It wasn't that so much as he just didn't want to go. So he's nervous, you know, dealing with God and then dealing with Pharaoh. He feels caught in between the two. And he wants to be able to tell Pharaoh who sent him to say this so he can kind of get off the hook. But he doesn't want to come right out and ask this powerful deity he just met at a burning bush what his name was. So he only asked God who he should tell the children of Israel that his name was so that he could get the information to know who he should go and tell Pharaoh that sent him. You following me? So when God labels himself for the first time in scripture, he doesn't use any of the Jehovah names. He doesn't use any of the names that we see later in scripture. When God labels himself for the first time, he says, go tell them I am that I am sent you. In other words, a limitless name. He wants him to go to the children of Israel and let them know not just a warrior king, not just a monarch, not just a deity, not just a power, not just love, not just judgment, not just one thing. I am that I am is the one who is sending me to speak to you. Now, hold that in your mind and consider Exodus chapter 20 verses four through six. Let's put that on the screen. Exodus 20, four through six. So why did he tell him I am that I am? He didn't want the children of Israel, Moses or Pharaoh's imagination to be limited by a label. Now, when he gives the Ten Commandments, notice this one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven. You with me? You shall not make unto thee. Don't make this for yourself. Any uh, help your neighbor understand what any means. Don't make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or in the water below. Now, most people really explain this poorly. They think God was telling them not to make little idols to false deities or false gods. That's part of it. But God said anything in heaven above, in the earth, or below the sea. 
God was also telling them, not only do I not want you to carve or paint a statue or a little idol or something to bow down to and worship, or, or he was saying, I don't want you to create any likeness, any outward visible image, not only to depict other gods, don't make one to depict me. He said, I don't want any images depicting me. Why? Because the moment a person depicts what God looks like based off their imagination, they influence the imagination of others who don't see it that way. Have you ever read a book? A great author has a skill. He has a powerful skill. He can use words to stir your imagination and create images in your mind. Have you ever read a great book and then that book came out on movie? And you hated the movie. Why did you hate the movie? Because when you read the book, your mind made an image, an imagination of what the characters looked like, what they sounded like, what the landscape was like. But then the director comes along with his imagination that's different from yours, and he made it look like he imagined it. And when you imagined it and you see his depiction of the imagination, it ruins it for you. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Ephesians 3.20 in the NIV that we just read, God said, or the apostle Paul is saying of God, he's able to do immeasurably more than you ask or you can imagine. But God cannot do more than you ask or think or ask or imagine if you're not thinking and imagining anything about him. He wants to set the bar and the standard that he wants to go above by finding out the limitation of your imagination and then going beyond that. He, want, he wants to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or imagine but there has to be a standard set first. That's why he likes your imagination and wants to use your imagination. Let me drill the point home and kick a dead horse. I'm saying all this to say my God is not limited by your perception of him. I like that. I like that. Your God is not limited by my perception of him. In fact, he's known in the scripture for revealing himself as different things to different people. For instance, if you're a carpenter, he said in the Bible, I'm like a nail in a sure place. If you're a botanical, he says, I'm the lily of the valley. I'm the rose of Sharon. If you like the stars, he said, I'm the bright and the morning star. If, you are, if you're a mason, he says, I'm the chief 
cornerstone and the stone that the builders rejected. If you're a baker, he said, I am the bread of life. If you're a shepherd like David, he said, I will be your good shepherd. In other words, whatever you need me to be in whatever way I need to be it, I am capable of being whatever you imagine and then going above that. However you need to receive me, however you need to understand me, I'll find where your limit is of your imagination and I will go above. Imagination harnessed by truth is how Jesus taught most of his sermons. I'm going to say it again because I want you to just imagination harnessed by truth is how Jesus taught most of his sermons. Most of the time when Jesus was teaching either the disciples or the crowds, he spoke in parables. What are parables? Word pictures. Everybody say it. Word pictures. It's a style of speaking and storytelling that the speaker uses certain words to create certain images in the mind or the imagination. And what Jesus would do is he would use pictures to release principles of truth. I'm going to say that again. He would use pictures to release principles of truth. Because if I can make you see it with my words, I don't have to teach it to your mind. You don't have to learn the formula of how to arrive there intellectually if I can use words in a way that make you see it because once you see it you got it okay so in our preaching text John chapter 10 Jesus is once again using word pictures to release principles of truth in John chapter 10 verse 7 the scripture says then Jesus said unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, he's about to drop them, I am the door of the sheep. When you, when you hear him say, I am, remember, he's hearkening back to that original name God gave. I, I am, I'm more than just one thing. Don't put me in the box of your limited understanding. I'm more than you perceive me to be. I'm more than you understand me to be. I'm more than your grandmama thought I was. I'm more than your pastor thought I was. I'm more than that. When Jesus says I am, he's talking about the limitlessness of his potential. The manifold, many faceted ways that he can reveal himself to his people. And so he starts, the first word picture is he says, I am the door. Now remember, it's just a it's just it's just a picture, but it's a it's a principle. Okay, it's just a picture, but it's it's a it's a principle. And if if I said close your eyes, please, and imagine a door, we'd have hundreds of different doors in here. You understand what I'm saying? 
you know, your, what color is your door? It's white. What color is your door? It's brown. What color is your door? It's purple. You know, whatever it is, we'd have all these different doors. But the point is, Jesus is wanting the hearer to visualize a door, to imagine a door. And he said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. What is a door? It's a portal of entry. It's an access point. Now, Jesus just gave the picture door. Now he's about to give the principle because the principle is that Jesus is the access point to the kingdom of God. In other words, the sheep, which represent his people, all of us, the sheep are not saved by their own effort or merit. I'm sorry, I'm not saying it better. The sheep are not saved or granted access by their own merit or their own strength. They are saved simply because they went through the door. We don't gain access to God by our merit, by our obedience, or by our goodness. We gain access to the kingdom of God by going through the door that is Jesus Christ. After the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the way to God, the way to the kingdom of God, the way to heaven was blocked by sin. In the New Testament epistles, the apostle Paul calls it a middle wall of partition between us. But God put a door in the middle of that separating wall, and the door's name is Jesus Christ. A door called Jesus. And so God has everything you need in his kingdom, in his storehouse. But to access any of it, you've got to go through the door. Jesus would expound on this principle by saying, I am the way the truth and the life. No man can come to the father except he come or except he come by me. Now that's verse seven, verse eight, all that ever came before me. I'm going to make you mad real quick. So you might want to put your fingers in yours. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Here. Jesus is bringing up the point that any other way that any other religion describes as a pathway to God is a thief and a robber. Most people, most good Christians would say that other religions are a lie. That's fine. Jesus goes further than that because I would rather you lie to me than steal from me. He said every other religion promising another way into heaven is a robber. It's a thief. It is stealing something from you. Jesus is revealing that question, you know, that they always ask faith leaders when they go on these news stations, you know, the news person interviewing them will say, you know, are you saying that everyone is, is going to hell that doesn't believe the way you believe? And what I wish they would always answer instead of crawfishing in their seat, I wish they would say, no, I'm not saying that Jesus said it. Jesus said, 
He didn't say, I am a door. He said, I am the door. He, 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 he's showing something. He's showing something that is radically, radically exclusive. Christianity is a radically exclusive faith in that there's not many ways. There's one way. There's not many hopes. There's one hope. There's not many faiths. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God who is the Father of all, Lord of all, in you all, above us all. I am the door. I am the door. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. Verse 9, I am the door. Say it. Christianity is exclusive. Why? There's one door. One way. But then he flips it. I am the door by me, exclusive, if by me, if any man, any person enter in, he shall be saved. Here's where the gospel gets radically inclusive. He said, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've been or who you are right now. I don't care how broken, how disgusting, how messed up. I don't care how, I don't care what your body count is. I don't care if you killed people. I don't care what you have done. If any man has the nerve and the faith to come through this door, if any broken man, sick man, perverted man, if any man or woman, if any drug addict, if any harlot, if any, if any person will come through this door, they'll be saved. Why? Because salvation is not based on the person. Salvation is based on the door. It's not the quality of the Christian. It's the quality of the Christ. It's not the strength of my faith. It's the strength of who he is. And a little bit of faith will work because he is so strong. Jesus is the, the, the door. I, I, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I am the door by me if any man enter in. That just deserves a praise right there. That just deserves a praise right there. Because some days I've been a good man. Some days I've been a bad man. Some days I've been a broken man. Some days I've been a whole man. But no matter what day and what stage I was ever in, the door was always open for me. And I want to thank God that he left the door open. I want to thank God that he accepts sinners. I want to thank God that he accepts doubters and backsliders. I want to thank God that he accepts sick people. Is there anybody else in the room that's thankful he left the door open? You ought to praise him that he left the door. I said you owe him praise because he left.
Family all counted you out, said you'd never amount to nothing. Couldn't get those drugs out of your veins. Tried rehab, tried everything else. And when nothing else worked, you stumbled through the door. And the door called Christ changed your life and put you in an entirely different environment. door called Christ saved your soul. The door called Christ turned your family around. The door called Christ. Verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture, provision, Go in, you can go in a door, and then you can go back out. As, as first inspection, it's kind of like, well, why would I ever want to go out? You know, if I go in, why would I ever want to go back, back out? But what he's saying here is, he's saying that I'm, he's moved on in his concept now. He's moved on in his principle dropping. Well, he's already established he's the only way. Now he's moving to this reality I'm not just the savior of your soul. I'm your access point into the spiritual reality and realm of the kingdom of God. Now, the truth of the matter is you cannot live in the earth in the presence of God, in the expressed manifested presence of God 24 hours a day. You'd never get anything done. You know, you come home from work, there's a ton of dishes and, you know, and all of a sudden you get the Holy Ghost at the sink, fall out, you know, and you lay there five hours. Family comes in, what's going on? I've been with the Lord. That's great, but In other words, in order to function practically, you can't just live in an express moment of God's glory and manifested presence 24 hours a day. But when you need something from the kingdom, when you need to step in and get a supernatural healing or you need to step in and get a supernatural breakthrough, you need to step in and get some provision from the pasture of the king. Jesus said, I want you to know anytime you want to go into that other world of the door and you can come in, get what you need and then go right back out into your life with a strength that you didn't have before you accessed the door. You know what he's saying here? Saying, use the door. Use the door. You you left your understanding of the door at I'm your savior. Oh no, I'm not just your savior. I am that I am. I'm not just your savior. I'm your access point. Need something from God? Need something from the kingdom of heaven? Need something from the realm of glory? Need something from the throne room? All you got to do is use. Now in this, he's talking about they'll go in and out. He's using flippant language here. I mean, flippant language, just in and out, you know. 
You ever have kids, you know, just go in and out of the door, 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 and they don't ever shut the door right, you know, in and out of the door, in and out of the flyers are getting in, they're just in and out of the door, in and out of the door. That's the image he's conjuring, you know. There you are in the middle of August, got the AC on, the kids just in and out of the door, in and out of the door, in and out of the door. In and out of, like spoiled little brat children, not knowing what things cost, just in and out of the door, in and out of the door, in and out of the door. I have an office at home, and my whole family knows when my door is closed, that means I'm working. And I work, I work based off of focus. All that I do for my work, I do in the realm of focus. And the more I can focus, the better I can see, the better I can understand, the better revelation can come, the deeper it can come, okay? I gotta have focus, gotta have focus. And, and there are two elements in the world, no matter where you, where you research or where you find, there are two elements in the world that will take your focus and steal your focus like nothing else will. And they are called Levi and Samuel sides. will come up to my door, <laughs> fling it open, run and jump in my lap and say, can I have a hug? <laughs> Jesus is saying, I want you to approach me holy as I am, pure as I am, righteous as I am, exalted as I am. I want you to approach me like a little spoiled child approaches a door that he knows he's loved on the other side of. And I want you to use the door. Verse 10, another word picture. He says, the thief cometh. Uh, the thief cometh. The thief cometh. First thing Jesus tells us about the thief, he's coming. The thief, the thief cometh. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then he goes on to describe the thief as a wolf, as a wolf. And Jesus is both prophet, priest, and king. He's the most accurate prophet ever walked the face of the earth. I wonder how I would have felt in that service that day, listening to this accurate prophet. Look at me and tell me, is the thief coming? It'd be like me standing up in front of all of you saying, Tonight at 1130, while you're laying in bed, two men in dark clothes are going to come to your door. They're going to try to break in and they're going to rob your house. What would you do if you knew 
a thief was coming tonight. How would you prepare? What would you set up? What would you put in place? Kind of puts you on edge a little bit. Kind of puts you on edge a little bit. If, if he said, I promise you, he had said before this, verily, verily, I say, which means this is true by my character. He's saying, I swear by my character, this is true. That's what verily, verily means. Truly, I tell you, based on my own character. He said, the thief's coming. And I want to tell you, the thief's coming. The thief's coming. The wolf is coming. So many wolves in life. And, and, and the challenge, remember, remember, it's word pictures. So you got to stand. He's talking about the devil, but, but he's using a, a word picture, the wolf, the wolf, the wolf. And he said, he's coming. And you got to stand. Sometime he'll come dressed up like a coworker. Sometime he'll come dressed up like a family member. Oh, yes. And don't shout surprise like that. I, I pray for the day you have to see it. Anybody got anybody in your family that you know the devil's been working through at some point or another? It's, it's wild. It's a crazy thing. Sometimes, sometimes he comes disguised in all, in all kind of things, but, but under the disguise, there is a, a wolf. And you'll always be able to tell the wolves in your life because eventually their primary mission statement comes to the surface. They still... They kill, they destroy. Anything that steals in your life, tries to kill in your life, or destroys in your life is the work of a wolf. Don't care how they dress it up. Don't care how they prop it up. It's the work of the wolf. Now, remember the pictures and the principles? Jesus is brilliant. You see what he did, don't you? You see what he did. Surely you see what he did. In verse 7, he identifies us. The sheep. In verses 10 and 12, he identifies our enemy, our adversary, and he calls him a wolf. And then he promises the sheep that the wolf is coming. And all of a sudden, I'm nervous because sheep are ill-prepared to face an attack from a wolf. Wolves have these humongous fangs and powerful jaws. Sheep have these itty bitty teeth. Wolf is meant to, to be a carnivore. Its bite has enough pressure to break through skin, muscle, and bone. Sheep, they eat grass. Little herbs and stuff. And Jesus promised that the wolf is coming for the sheep. It's dangerous to be a sheep in a world full of wolves. Have you ever felt vulnerable? Have you ever felt ill-equipped for the warfare that was levied against you? Have you ever felt at a disadvantage? 
does God know how vulnerable I am? Does God know how weak I am? Stuff I hide from everybody else because if anybody else knew it would destroy me. Does God know how broken I am? Then how does he expect me to fight the wolves? And the answer is he doesn't. Because the scripture says Jesus warned him the wolf is coming in John 10. The thief is coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come. There's that I am again. I am come. There's that I am again. Do you see it? I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. People, people mess this up. People mess this up. They think Jesus is giving a comparative analysis. Okay. The thief, he wants to do this. He wants to steal and kill and destroy you. But I... I want to do this, give you life and that more abundantly, you know, like kind of like you choose, you know, which side you, it's not what he's saying. He's saying the wolf is coming and he's coming to steal, to kill and destroy. But I am coming against what's coming against you as the wolf is coming for you. I am coming for the wolf. And when I read that, the I am spoke to me and told me to tell you whatever is coming against you. The great I am is coming against it. Hallelujah to Jesus. Whatever's coming against you, the great I am. Do you see that? Put that back up there. John, John 10. Look at that. John 10. John 10. Uh, no, 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 John 10, 10. Put that back up there. I, did, I, I, I want you to shout and get happy and love God and all that, but I want you to see this. The, the thief cometh. He's, he's not coming for any other reason but steal, kill, destroy. Look at that. I am come. That, read those words out loud to yourself. I am come. In other words, the limitless I am God is saying to you, I don't care where he's trying to attack you. I don't care where he's trying to steal, where he's trying to kill, or where he's trying to destroy. I will turn myself into whatever defense you need in whatever circumstance. If they're trying to mug you on the street, I am your defense. If they're trying to steal from you in the courtroom, I am your advocate. Whatever they're trying to do to you, I am that I am the ability to cover you and to protect you and be everything you need. I am against what's against what's against you. Then in verse 11, he says, I am God. Do you see that? I am. I just. Please tell me you see that. Don't turn into this kind of church on me that just shouts at preaching and stops thinking. We've seen it in every scripture we've read from Exodus all the way here. I am. I am. I am. You know, he never stopped telling us who he was. <laughs> oh, you're consistent, God, and I worship you. I am the good shepherd. Then he talks about shepherding. 
another word. Are y'all listening? It's another word. Picture. It says, I am the good shepherd. I give my life. I give my life for the sheep. Look at verse. Look at verse 11. Track with me. Keep these up there. Verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling or somebody that's just hired to come watch sheep that don't belong to him, he's not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not. And he sees the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The, hiring, the hireling fleeth or he runs away because he is a hireling and he cares not for the sheep. I am, I can't do any better. I hope you get it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father. And I laid down my life. Jesus is saying the difference, and you, you got to catch this. Most church folks that grown up in church all their life, they don't know this, and it, it grates my nerves. And, and I, don't, I don't want you to be ignorant in this area. I don't want you to miss this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying here, others in your life that have been in position of responsibility, if the attack gets bad enough, they'll leave you because you ain't theirs. You don't belong to them. He's saying difference between me and a hireling is the sheep are my possession. They're my own. They belong to me. I'm not leaving them if it kills me. I'm not letting the wolf have them, even if it kills me. I'm not turning my back on them, even if it kills me. Why, Jesus? Because they mine. You must understand the gospel that if you believe on the Lord Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, if you repent of your sins and ask him to be the Lord of your life, and you do your best to incline your ear to his word by faith in your heart, then the Bible says you go through something called a born-again experience, a, a born-again conversion. And through that conversion, Paul describes that we have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear but because of Jesus we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father that means the moment that I put my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross I cease to be my own I cease to be responsible for myself and God 
God assumes the responsibility for my life. I don't belong to me. I don't belong to you. I belong to God because of Jesus. I'm, I'm God's now because of Jesus. Let me, let me walk a tightrope. I can't mess this up. Even if I wanted to. Because I ain't mine. I'm his. My little boy got mad at me the other day and told me he was going to go sleep outside. He wanted to. I'm going to go sleep outside. I don't want to stay in your house. I'm going to go sleep outside. Go out there and I'm going to get my little sheepy and my little stuffed animals and my little pillow. I'm going to sleep outside. You would have to kill me dead to let my son sleep outside. He's mad at me. He wasn't acting right. He wasn't doing right. But he had his tail in the bed. Why? Because he ain't his. That's good, sir. That's good. He said, I ain't letting the wolf have my sheep. Because they belong to me. And I'm so committed to their security, I will die before I let you have them. And that's what he did. There's an old principle that says, oh, help me, God, that if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And the devil tried for centuries to get the people of God and kept running into the defense of the good shepherd. So he said, I tell you what, if we just kill the shepherd, if we take away the shepherd, there will be no defense for the sheep and they will scatter. So they arrested Jesus. They took him to the judgment hall. They beat him at the whipping post. They nailed him to a cross. He hung his head in the night hour and he died until the ground began to shake. He died until the sun began to shine. He died all the way as much as a person can die. Jesus died and the shepherd was dead and the sheep began to scatter. Thomas said, I don't believe in none of this stone more. Peter denied the Lord three times, said, I swear to God, I don't know him. They all turned their back on him and the sheep began to scatter. But on the third day, Sunday morning, the shepherd rose from the grave with all power, with a rod in his hand, and he went looking for the wolf. He went looking for the wolf and said, no weapon formed against my people shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against them, I'll beat it. Three people say the shepherd is here. The, the shepherd is here. The, the shepherd is here. The, the shepherd is here. Ah, 
I've got to keep preaching. I just want to give somebody 10 seconds to look over your life and thank the shepherd for all the times when the wolves came rushing in, when all hell broke loose in your life, when the devil came after your mind, when the devil came after your marriage, when the devil came after your health, when the devil came after your children. But all of the sudden, the shepherd stepped in. Has he ever stepped in for you? Has he ever held you together? Has he ever healed you? Has he ever blessed you? Has he ever comforted? Praise the shepherd. Oh, praise the shepherd. And so, receive your praise, Lord. Receive your praise. So, 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 to, so to make sure, to just, just to make sure you hold this. Just to make sure you hold this, I got three things I want you to take away from it. Okay? I just got three things. They're simple things. Number one, I want you to imagine Jesus Christ on the cross. Imagine with your imagination. Don't rely on the movies to do it for you and the posters and the statue. No, no, it's not. God never wanted to be a statue. He wanted to be built in your mind. There's something that happens in your mind, in your spirit, when you imagine Jesus on the cross. And you realized, oh my God, the mind that is imagining this. He did this for me. You know, most of the most of the sick things you've done, most of the perverted things you've done, you did it in your imagination before you did it 
And he said, he said, imagine your redemption in the same place where all of your evil is created. You know, it's impossible to have your mind covered by the blood of Jesus. If you never put the blood of Jesus in your mind through your imagination, is this biblical? Galatians chapter three, verse one, take me there. I don't have time to do it on my thing. So take, take me there. Paul is, is talking to the Galatians. He said, Oh, foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. Watch this before whose eyes, in other words, before your eyes, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you. Wait a second. This was 15 to 20 years after the cross. And this is in Galatia, not Jerusalem. These people didn't see Jesus die on the cross. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I preached the gospel to you to the point that you were able to see him die on the cross with your imagination. Paul said, I did my job effectively. No heresy ought to ever be able to overtake you. No false doctrine ought to ever be able to bewitch you because Paul said, I put Christ on the cross in your mind by preaching the word to you, by preaching the gospel to you. Ladies and gentlemen, to live this life, this Christ life effectively, you must constantly see Jesus on the cross in your imagination. Every time you take communion, every time you pray, know that the authority of the believer, the boldness of the believer to become, to come before a pure and holy God is in the fact that Jesus died for you. Put it into your imagination. Point number two, imagine the power and the beauty, the beauty, the radiance, the glory, the beauty of the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I imagine the beauty of the Holy Spirit? I've never seen the Holy Spirit. As far as I know, he's invisible. I, I know, I know. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying in the reaching for the imagination, in the trying to figure out what it must be like and what, what the Holy Spirit is like and, and what his beauty is and what his power is, in the reaching of it, that's called seeking the Holy Ghost. That's called seeking the Holy Spirit. Okay. You seek with your imagination, with your mind, with the mind we serve the Lord. Imagine the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Number three, imagine the promises and the plans that God has for your life. I know he does. And John are in uh, in the scripture in Jeremiah 29 11, he says, I know the plans. I know the thoughts that I think and the plans I have for you, the plans of good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. One wonder what the plan is for you. It ain't important if I tell you about his plans for me, his plans for me and his plans for you. They're, 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 they're different as different as our fingerprints are. We're all different. But the one thing we all have in common is he has a plan. Have you imagined what it might be like? 
Could you imagine what his promises look like? You know, when, when he says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you don't have the room to receive. You got to imagine that. When he says, remember the Lord, for it is he that gives thee the power to get wealth that he may establish his company. What's that look like for you? What wealth looks like for me and what wealth looks like for you may not be the same. Have you imagined it? When he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Have you imagined it? When David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. When he talks about the God who forgives all our sin and he heals all our diseases. You gotta imagine. So what's the, what's the proper fuel for your imagination of these things? The scripture. That's why God gave it to us in word form. That's why he didn't only speak through prophets. He also decided to write it down so that all these centuries later, when you're reading it, maybe that's why we're not growing as much as we should because we're reading less as a society than we ever have. You read your Bible? No, I like to listen to it on the way to work. You read your Bible? No, but I listen to podcasts. You read your Bible? No, but I watch your live stream, Pastor. There's something that happens when those words go into your eye gate. Your mind starts filling up with pictures called imaginations. wouldn't we give that to God? We gave it to the devil. You gave it to pornography. If you weren't watching pornography, you were replaying something you had seen before in the theater and screen of your mind, your imagination. Many of us have killed people in our imagination. Many of us have done some very perverted things to lots of people in our imagination. For many of us, it's not even a conviction and a holiness thing. Many of us don't have the courage to go out and be as wicked as we really are. So we just leave all that overflow wickedness within the boundaries of our imagination. Why didn't we ever consider putting the blood that was shed for us by Jesus Christ the righteous? In our imagination. Why haven't we ever taken the time? Stop and imagine I am. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise.